Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. This episode of the Studio Podcast is sponsored by the new Figurative Art Convention and Expo. Finally, there is a conference just for the figurative world. It includes hands-on workshops and demos from artists like Jacob Collins, Juliet Aristides, Daniel Graves, David LaFell, Max Ginsberg, Stephen Assail, Jeremy Lipking, Graydon Parrish, Sherry McGraw, Jordan Sokol, Cesar Santos, and John Coleman. That is one hell of a lineup. Um, plus, they have added in the track conference at the same time, all for one price. You can learn more about FACE at figurativeartconvention.com. My guest on this episode is artist Kevin Wiesty. I had a great time getting to know Kevin a little bit through our conversation. He is a really cool dude, super passionate about teaching. He is currently an instructor at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco and is a highly skilled draftsman and painter. Um, I really enjoyed this podcast and I think you will too. So without further ado, um, here's my conversation with Kevin Wiesty. All right, I've got artist Kevin Wiesty on the line with me from San Francisco, California. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Danny. Good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you. Um, heard a lot about you from uh, mutual friends, so nice to to actually speak to you one-on-one. Um, so, Kevin, I want to start with, I like to start with kind of what's going on now in your life, um, and so... I want to ask you what your basic kind of daily and weekly schedule is like, and if you have any rituals, um, you know, time you wake up in the morning, favorite coffee shop you stop by, or anything like that. Sure. Um, depending on the semester, a lot of my days are spent teaching or preparing to teach. Okay. I teach at a school called the Academy of Art University here in San Francisco. Um, I wake up early, um, 6 to 6.30 almost every day, and um, prepare the day. Uh, I go, I don't drink coffee, but I do, I'm addicted to something called a green tea frappuccino, <laughs> just so I can feel like other normal coffee people. I think I go get that at Starbucks on my way to school, okay. um, and, uh, and then head off kind of usually to my day. Um, I... In doing a lot of teaching, I tend to draw almost every day and then paint every few days. I, uh, again, as I mentioned, teach at the school, but also I have a few private clients that I teach and work with on an individual basis. Um, I'm working towards uh, next projects for shows. I have uh, clients I'm trying to get paintings done for. So it's just cool. Um, yeah. So there's kind of the story. So how did you, um, you mentioned a couple of, of uh, uh, personal teaching, personal students, I guess. Um, how did you come across those? Or did you get those through the school? Or how did they find you? 
Mostly, you know, the students who some students have connected with me through contacts from um, my departments, um, through the fine art department, people have rec my directors recommended me. Um, often it's been word of mouth. Uh, people have found me through Instagram and the Internet. Cool. Um, and uh, it's kind of gone from there. And so do you do that? Do you do that online or are these people that are in the city that you meet with? And, and what is that? Um, I guess what's what's the structure of that teaching? Like, how does that go? Yeah, I actually I have I'm not doing any online either through schools or privately. I just find it very very difficult. I get requests mm, probably every other week for someone in India, Germany. I've had people in Russia, Iran wow. um, asking to could you teach online? I will pay, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could give you the right experience, and yeah. they. They don't really believe that, but I, so, so there's part of it. Then in person, yeah, we, you know, have people come to my house or um, wherever I am and we'll set up, I set up a little studio, we'll often hire models and we'll work on the things that they are focused on. And also combined with where I hope they, where are I surmise they need to go. Um, and I, I'm probably at my max with two or three of those and, um, I guess I'm in a lucky position that there's a lot more requests than I have time to to handle. So Sure, yeah, that's nice. But often I'll recommend to other people who I think would be good teachers or are teaching and are looking for people to help and obviously looking to take on you know opportunities to um make revenue or salary, et cetera. But um you know the the idea for me for all of it is really because this is a second sort of life for me is to do stuff I enjoy. I really do it. I don't teach. I don't draw because I, I do it because I really, really love doing this. So then it's the thing I feel I've had this lucky opportunity to do. Great. So, yeah. um, okay. So you mentioned uh, second life. So let's get into, I'd like to talk about first life for just a second sure. um, if we could describe it that way um and then kind of uh how, how that led to this or or maybe how they overlapped or um whatever um so yep. let's see okay so i know that you worked at, at microsoft um one i guess the first question i have about that is is um is that the thing that you went for sort of out of high school or you know, when was the beginning of that and how did that overlap with your quest uh, for art or? Yeah, that, so let me let me see if I can do this without having you fall asleep aggressively right there. <laughs> um, so let me try the quick one. My mom is a painter. Um, okay. So I grew up with strangers in my basement being on a pedestal, watching that, thinking that's normal. <laughs> basement. Um and hearing the, the comment from people seeing my mom's painting, well, who is that? Who is that? And I always thought, well, it's just a painting. Just relax. Anyway, <laughs> right. so I, grew up, I ended up drawing and I made comic books. I sold them in junior high and high school. And um, I drew every day. I just, it was the thing I did. I listened to, you know, the Beatles or Yes or Led Zeppelin and draw spaceships, pirates, aliens. I couldn't draw faces very well or women. Um, so I, everyone had a helmet on or a face mask, or something, <laughs> you know, an oxygen tank. And anyway, I kind of, as I, you know, got into high school, 
um, you know, and discovered women or girls, it kind of, my art started to quiet down a little bit. And also at the time, this is pre-internet, this is the the 80s. Yeah. I really didn't understand how my idols like Bernie Wrightson, Frank Frazetta, Rich Corbin, um, Esteban Morato, how do these guys make money? I thought it was just magic that their work appeared in these mm -hmm. comics, like creepy, eerie, you know, or... <laughs> I didn't, or heavy metal magazine. I didn't know that. Oh, that's a career. I really didn't put it all together. Yeah. Uh, even though I was making money selling comics, so I went on to a normal college. I had gone to one art college, and everyone was so goth at the time. And I thought, <laughs> here I come, you know, in an Izod T-shirt and and Chucks, you know, and yeah. I'm like, I am not the guy. So I went <laughs> I to a regular. I don't have the right clothes for this profession. I didn't. Yeah. I was not cool enough. Still am not. So yeah. I don't think uh, most of us aren't, I think, yeah. And I, so I went to normal school, have a degree in English literature, um, and studied a lot of math and physics and science along the way. Okay. And uh, took one art class in college and got an A in it and loved it. Um, but, um, again, I thought I had a career that made money. Um, and... Uh, I student taught, I have a, I guess a minor in education. So to teach secondary education, like high school, anyway, out of college, I got a job with, um, you know, nepotism is awesome. My dad hired me uh, and I worked for his small <laughs> computer company for pretty much exactly one year and decided it's a bad idea to work for your family. And, and I wanted to keep them as family. <laughs> Did and, anything happen? Was, was there anything that sort of, was like, oh, no, this is weird. I can't do this. Or it's just a general feeling. I thought it was time to see what I could do on my own and not ride coattails. I appreciated all the opportunities I got from my my father. Yeah. And um, took a job with the NASDAQ, the over-the-counter stock market. As a, And I had I really was going to night school, learning uh, programming and training and all this stuff. And then my first job was in this kind of uh, stock market company in uh, Maryland and I really loved doing the software hardware stuff because I my whole decision was I didn't want to take any job that I had to go to meetings I just never wanted <laughs> to sit at the desk yeah it'll be a, maybe funny in a moment so um, I moved did two years in a bit there and went on and applied to Microsoft um, out of 400 candidates for four slots I have no idea how I got a job but I did Wow. Back in 1990, um, started in D.C., moved out to corporate for that company in Redmond, Washington, moved up the ladder from a kind of a field engineer into an executive position. Um, I worked there for a total of 15 years and retired finally in 90, sorry, 2004, um, finally, and then, or 2005, and um, decided at the time my, my dad had passed away, and Having gone through the difficulty of all that with him, I thought um, it was the catalyst for me leaving because I just thought if I died tomorrow, I get hit by a bus. I wanted to know that I'd done something other than be an excellent employee or executive at a software company. Yeah, uh, which I basically at that point spent my almost my whole working life. So. I told my bosses I was quitting, and they said, "Please don't do that." And I said, "No, no." <laughs> And that was flattering. And then so, but it was the right thing to do. Left Redmond, moved down here, 
to San Francisco where I already had a, a small kind of escape house to get away from the rain. Nice. Uh, and, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm retired. And I would go to a bakery in the morning, read the New York Times with all the, you know, 70-year-old guys talking about World War II. And, <laughs> and I thought, I'm in the wrong, what am I supposed to do? And my idea leaving was to do something creative. I loved movies. I loved certainly art, um, comics, reading, um, and, and, and radio. So I started kind of thinking about all these things. Cool. I took a class, um, a night class at a school here um, San Francisco Art Institute, and it was figure drawing. And I tell you, just Danny, the thing for me was the first night, um, within minutes of drawing this very nice elderly um, naked lady, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I knew it from the minute <laughs> that it was a naked lady, um, but it was if so fun. Elderly naked women for the rest of my life, this is it. Maybe that some form of that. <laughs> Maybe I need to see someone about this, but you know, <laughs> who knows? But I remember probably by week four, this teacher for this night class, and it was mostly after work people wanting to draw their child or mom or something. Sure. And the teacher would come around and she said, uh, "Wow, Kevin, that's really good. Um, now what are you going to do?" And I thought to myself, you know, if the teacher <laughs> doesn't know what I'm supposed to do, I'm in the wrong place. Right. 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 So, and I asked her after class one night, you know, what do you like? What do you draw? What do you paint? She goes, well, I focus on giraffes. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's awesome. So you're teaching a figure human class. Anyway, it led me to looking around at schools in the Bay Area. And I looked at the work of teachers and students. And that kind of found me applying to come to the Academy of Art to study. Cool. And so that happened in um, and I um, started there as a student. Sorry, Kevin, you're, you're breaking up a little bit. Um, I don't know if okay. there's any, I don't know if there's any technical thing we can do on your end, but. Giant Mac close to my head. Okay. <laughs> um, better, so. Okay. I want to back up just a little bit. Um, because I, I just think it's unusual and, and really awesome. Um, let me see if I got this timeline right. You said you started Microsoft in 1990 and retired in 2004? Yeah, 2005. Yeah. 2005. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you must have moved up the ladder quite a bit to be able to retire. What I mean, you retired in your 30s or are you 40 at that I, time? Or? I think it was 41. Okay. Yeah. 41 and retired. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's an awesome life. Um, and so you had bought, you had bought a house in San Francisco as well as, as living in Washington. Yes. Okay. You, you um, definitely, if, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I mean, so the thing about Microsoft is if you started when I started and you were a little careful with the stock awards that you got, Almost everyone there probably could retire. They didn't have, I mean, for me, I knew it wasn't the thing I needed to be doing till I was, you know, couldn't walk or stand or use my brain. Yeah. I wanted to get out, you know, and so, you, yeah, I could have stayed there and had more millions and or whatever, but it wasn't the thing that was going to, I didn't think it was the right place to be. And the stress, you were, the, the pay was great. 
a stressful company with Bill Gates, you know, the, the super smart execs that wanted you working basically around the clock, even though they never said that, um, <laughs> was very, very, very high. Implied. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had unlimited vacation. Did I ever take vacation? I can't remember. <laughs> really. Right. Yeah, so. Okay. Wow, that's incredible. Okay. Um, all right, so let's get back to San Francisco. So um, the lady who does draft draw drawings in her uh, outside of teaching, um, that's not the direction you want to go. So you found the Academy of Art University. Um I mentioned on the show before, I, I went there for my undergrad um, also. Oh, wow. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And it's um, for me, you know, I didn't know about the whole atelier thing at the time. And that was in 1999, 2000. Um, and it, to me, it seemed like um, so I went into the illustration department and it just seemed like, OK, this is the place where uh, people are actually learning to draw. You know, none of the fine art departments at universities were were attractive at all. Um, so it sounds like that's probably the, the same kind of thought process you were having when you decided to go there. Yeah, coming from Danny, coming from a you know a software math you know world, I, I was all about what is the process, what is the concept, what's the technique. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily thinking. How do I free myself from the bonds of constricted, <laughs> you know, life? Yeah, all yeah. that the the stuff you you get at you know at the Art Institute at CCA and lots of good art schools that are big brands. Um, right. I wanted to be taught how to do this, and this is a school that I thought actually you can see that if especially if realism was something you're interested in, they were going to help you with how to do that. Yeah, uh, and that attracted me for sure. Yeah, there's still a healthy respect for, for realism, and yeah, that that definitely attracted me. Um, so, who were who were some of your 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 favorite instructors there? I'm, I'm curious curious to see if we had any of the same uh, people. You know, the guy. My first semester, the guy that taught me figure drawing one, I um, loved him right off the bat. His name was Ruben Deanda, and um, he has since passed away, but he was amazing. Um, and he was patient, thoughtful, kind, and didn't cut you slack if you were lazy. And I love that mix. Um, and he was a beautiful drawer. His art was amazing. Um, moving on, I had um, an excellent uh, still life teacher. His name was uh, Mark Elliott. Also just a sensitive, smart, thoughtful, funny you know, just there's a lot of these people that I just enjoy usually are kind of very rounded and broadly thinking. Um, and then from there, a guy named Tomutsu Takashima, um, who teaches in the fine art department, um, uh, learned so much from him. Henry Yan and uh, Xiao Ming Wu, uh, mm -hmm. two fellows who I, I tend to think are less verbal. Um, but the value of watching them draw and paint uh, is pretty immeasurable. So, you know, that would be the, there's the sort of the magic group of people um, with a few others, certainly Chuck Pyle. I've learned a lot watching him draw and listening yeah. to him talk. And um, there was, was a guy. Cool. I had a class with him. I, I liked him a lot. Awesome dude. Still the director of illustration. And for me, Danny, though, at that time, after about two years and a bit there, 
I did learn about, like you were talking about the Atelier movement. And I was thinking, you know, I'm on this kind of this place where I see the teacher 15 times a semester. And for me, that was really good. But I wanted more. I wanted, you know, and so I researched the schools where you where do these places? You know, I had this book by Tony Ryder. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, does this guy teach people or is he like a king? (laughs) Mountain. I didn't really know. So I, <laughs> yeah. found, I wrote him and he's like, oh, no, we have this thing. You can come and spend a year with me. And and in the meantime, I had gone to, in the summer to Grand Central Atelier, used to be Academy when they were in the midtown Manhattan um, near Grand Central Station. Right. Did their summer drawing intensive and learned so much in this, you know, 30 day yeah. thing. Um, uh, that I'm like, okay, this is where I need to go to this type of thing. So over time I applied to that school, um, talked to Jacob Collins and was accepted. I guess I was the oldest person they had accepted into their, their four year program. But to tell you the truth, I panicked about having to move for four years cause he wanted a four year commitment. Yeah. Um, to New York City, and so I figured I would see what are their other options, and that's when I found my way into Tony Ryder and did spend a year in Santa Fe studying with Tony and a woman named Anna Wakich, who was his assistant, um, okay. excellent instructors, amazing artists, and just just catapulted my understanding, kind of removing veils, and you know I got so much better. Yeah, uh, just doing that. So I've I've met a few people who've gone through that that year with Tony Ryder, what, what does that look like? Um, you're, it's, it's, you know, Monday through Friday, right? It is. Yeah. And we, the group I was with, which were just, it was a great group by and large. Um, I'll tell you the, the upside to the small schools is you're working every day and everyone there really wants to be there. Right. At, At a bigger art university, I think you get a lot more people who are not sure why they're there. You know, I I agree. Yeah. So so that that kind of raises all boats. Number one. Number two, it's a very small place. You're next to these people. So we get to know, you know, if you don't rub someone the right way or that that can be very challenging. And we definitely had some (laughs) personnel challenges at school. And I certainly had mine. I am not always easy. I want everyone to be just like me and working really hard. And (laughs) anyway, but. The experience was so good. Tony is a gentle, thoughtful, kind, super smart uh, guy. And uh, Anna, who is working with, she was also just so great. And the group I was there with, the fellow students, um, we were so kind of gung-ho. We would hire models at night. We had keys to the studio, so we would work on wow. weekends. Cool. And we all wanted to get better, and we did. And everyone there, I think, got to a fairly high level. Um, after my year there, I wasn't done yet. So I kind of connected with one of the water street teachers, a woman named Cami, Cami Davis, now Mm -hmm. Cami Davis Salas and, uh, Todd, you know, and a couple of other guy named Irvin Rodriguez and I, Rodney Davis, we were with her at the inception of her small guild atelier in Brooklyn and did that for about half a year. And that so was did also you, did you yeah. hook up with those guys um, after after starting at Grand Central or was that did you kind of bypass Grand Central and, and just go to, to Cammy's place? 
I kept doing summer and some winter break stuff at Grand Central because okay. I found te- like a guy named Travis Schlott and Ted Minoff mm-hmm. um, were guys I learned a ton from there. Colleen Berry, uh, so great. Um, and uh, um, let's, and then, uh, yeah, so, with, so I met those, I met Todd already at GCA, but then found my way to the guild thing with those guys. And, and it was, it was great. We all, we all enjoyed it. We suffered through blazing heat and freezing <laughs> cold in a studio that didn't really have any of those commodities. Oh, uh, but it was a great learning environment. And, uh, you know, and I, and it was fun to kind of have experience living in Brooklyn um, for a while, never having been a New Yorker, even for a short yeah. term. So, so when you moved to New York, did you sell your place in San Francisco or keep no. that? No, flew back every month just to oh. make sure the robbers hadn't moved. <laughs> um, you know, feel the sunshine and then head back and okay, uh, cool. um, back to school. Yeah, working every day. Again, we would hire models at night and everyone was working hard. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was a great, a great environment. Um so it did, I had like five months there. So, and then that kind of collapsed a little bit because Kimmy um, uh, was on the way to getting married and having a baby. So the school kind of, I think she decided that was, you know, not the right thing for her. So we knew that was coming. So, yeah. so I went back to the academy for one more semester. Um, and the uh, Academy of Art? Yeah. And so okay. So okay. And submitted things to their Davis spring show and I won uh, the top award for the fine art department that's that year which was called the best body of work award oh awesome um, and it was great so I, I then I kind of went to one of the department heads and said I tried to do my Jedi mind skills and said <laughs> you should hire me right now because if you don't <laughs> a year I'll be somewhere else and and they're like yeah we should hire you so that's uh, awesome. Somehow, uh, that's yeah. the kind of thing that uh, financial security uh, allows you to do, which <laughs> I don't know that I would have. To, yes. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, just hire me or else I'm just going to leave and it doesn't matter one way or the other. But you should hire well, me. Well, I, th- I was kind of riding. You're right. It was probably a, a little bit gutsy, maybe risky move. Um, but I thought. I'm, I have a degree in teaching already. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to have an art degree to teach there because most, almost any art teacher I know, they don't have a teaching degree. Oh, that's, yeah. So, so, I mean, generally they require a master's degree, right? And you, you don't, it, okay. You didn't yeah. get a master's from there, right? No. Okay. I, I didn't even get an undergraduate degree. Oh, so <laughs> right. I'm a, I'm lucky um, in that um, I had already been starting to teach um, and taking on, you know, kind of students in a mentor capacity, you know, um, the, you know, I've been published already. Um, I had won some minor awards, so I had a pretty good small resume, you know, or CV to come to the school with. And my work was pretty strong for what they were do- were looking for. Yeah. Um, I think that if you have some of those things, you communicate well, you have a strong personality about how might you lead a class because right. it's kind of a performance art. It's not just drawing and painting. You have to drive it. Yeah, for sure. Those things can, you know, people ask me all the time, how do you teach? How do you get to a job where you're teaching? And 
I'll tell them what I think are the the door openers and the, what are the things that help you close. And um, and those are things I thought I brought to the table and they agreed. And so I've been there now teaching for five years or so. Cool. Um, so, so you mentioned a couple of those, but could, so if I was a guy asking you, well, how do you teach? Um, so what is that? What is that list? Like, do you have a, what's your kind of go-to spiel for that? Yeah, the, 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 the hardcore list is have your MFA, you know, um, right. one. Number two, in lieu of that or, or with that, be awesome. Be very, Not that I think I'm awesome. I don't. But be very, very good at your craft. Be a good drawer, good painter. Know how the basics work to then do more fancy things. Yeah. Um, be a good communicator. you got to be able to describe these things in a way that can be not misunderstood, right? Um, not just understood right. because like even at a, especially probably at a school where I teach where I have – Sometimes the majority of my class are English as a second second language. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to communicate with them both verbally and visually, and it's very challenging. Yeah. Uh, and then always be ready. Have a, you know if you're gonna have a plan, know what you would teach, know how to craft a syllabus. You know, um, there. You know. Oh, and then the other part is win awards, be published. Um, yeah. Be in galleries, be a working artist. All of that stuff matters. Right. And have a vision, have a voice with your own work. And, you know, yeah, it's a long list. Yeah, uh, no, that, I mean, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. Um, you know, the, the students need to have, they need to be able to look at you and go, that well, that's someone I, I, I need to emulate or, you know, they need to, there's a credibility thing there you got to be able to uh, put forward. Um I want to get back to the to the communicating aspect of that, which I think is just uh, obviously so important. Um, gosh, what what are some things that uh, what are some techniques that you that you employ with with students who who are you know not native to English, not native English speakers? You know, it's this will sound like of course, but it's actually being repetitive. Um, you yeah. want to almost drive them crazy with, um, measure, 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 you know, these things that, um, or, you know, we want to look at value form edge, you know, you have these things that you just repeat and you show, Mm -hmm. um, over and over and over again until they have it. And if they don't, I go work with them individually to figure out what's not working with me. Even more important than all that is the important few. I have this idea of, when I'm teaching, it's not the interesting many ideas to get across. It's what are the important few things today? Yeah, I, that's good. There, and usually it's three things. Maybe sometimes it's four. Um, and I've sat in classes with gifted artists, skilled teachers that want to inundate their students with all of their genius, you know, and their knowledge. And the students, it's kind of like looking at a painting with with no compositional uh, elegance, everything is screaming, right? And the students don't know what should yeah. I remember. Um, so I try That's to have yeah. you. Yeah. The other thing I'll say um, is demonstrations should not be more than 15 minutes any one time. I keep them, and you're still boring seeing students yeah. drift off and students <laughs> and eat their Doritos. And I joke with them to make sure they're staying with me and engage them in the demo, but 
when I see teachers doing hour demos and the yeah. students are watching a Korean soap opera, they've lost them, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, so the important few, is that is that, say, a new important few for each class period or the same important few or maybe, let's say, six that get rotated throughout the semester? You know, I, on the first day of class, um, and most students could never remember or tell you, what did you tell me on the first day? I'll recite the things I want them to do in that particular class uh -huh. by the last day. Yep. Um, and then, so it's sort of like, I, I tell you the ending of this, this, this movie or this book today. Right. And now I'm going to fill in the middle of the book through the rest of the semester. So, yeah, it's your, and it's, my idea is it's a building. You're building on that first thing, which is how do you hold a charcoal pencil? How do you mix paint? How do you hold a brush? To the next thing, which is how do you craft a soft edge? How do you craft a firm edge? How do you, um, you know, create tone? And there's, you build these things on top of each other. And I, I will hear students, one, like I remember a few weeks ago, week five, my figure students, two of them came to me and said, wow, Kevin, this, there's a lot of stuff. And I'm only doing kind of three things a class. And I have to say, yes, there is. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it reminds students with things like, where are your notebooks? When they come up to watch me do a demo, I try to get them to draw with me and write down these kind of key terms as we go. Yeah. Especially for, it's especially helpful for the. So. I don't know if I answered that question or completely went off the rails, but no, no, yeah. no, no, that was great. Um, the very end there, you cut out. Uh, there was oh, sorry, a couple I words. Back. Anyway, I just, I didn't, I, I felt like I may have been kind of going on too far about that whole idea. No, 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 totally, no, totally, totally good. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and it seems like a silly thing, but it's something that I think about when I teach is uh, the idea of, <laughs> of talking to students about how to hold the pencil. Um, yeah. Will, I'll do that. Uh, because I do think it's important for 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 certain reasons, um, but I have to say that I, I I think it's important, and I talk about it, and I demonstrate it, um, and then I see very few of them um, modeling what I just showed them, <laughs> because it's it's. It, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You know, when you start holding your pencil, like it's a, like it's a conducting wand or something. You right. Know? Like rather, a sword. Right. Right, yep. right. Rather than, rather than like you're going to sit down and write in your journal. Yep. Um, and, and boy, that's a hard thing to get students to do. I feel like, um, so how much do you harp on things like that? Do you stick with it? Um, cause I, I fear, I feel like I let it go. Like I put it out there and then, they don't do it, and I, I don't stick with it because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to beat them over the head, and I part of me thinks, well, okay, that's just more comfortable for them, even though it, it's not beneficial, and I know it's not beneficial. But so anyway, how do you do you do you stick with it? Do you harp on it? I I, I want to say I hope I I hope it's not the word harp, but yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I know. I am kind of relentless because, and here's, let me go back to a thing to me that I've learned, which is any tool, any paper, any canvas, any paint, any medium, until it is our friend, it is our enemy. <laughs> and, and every student thinks, well, they'll say, Kevin, this paper sucks, or this right. canvas is crap. Uh, <laughs> I hate charcoal. 
why is this paper so bad? And it's mostly we don't know how to use it, we students, we artists. Right. And I don't. I can't hold my pencil this way. You've never yeah. done it before. Right. Um, I can't draw an eye. You've not only learned the only people that have taught you are your nursery <laughs> school teachers to draw that Egyptian weird thing with lashes, right? Yeah, yeah. Football sons. <laughs> so, yeah, I stick with it. Be, and and I am a little relentless, but I try to keep the humor in it. Yeah. Like, I'll come over and go, you know why that edge is so hard? And they're like, no, I don't. I'm like, of course you do. You're holding the pencil like you're going to carve stone. You know, we're, <laughs> we want to hold the pencil like we're softly – you know, conducting the orchestra. And right. and we want to get our arm involved. And I'll remind them at the beginning every day, we're drawing with our arm, we're drawing with our shoulder. Before we get to, you know, that those little strokes at the end, because I'm the thing that one of the ways I do that is talk about detail. Detail is our enemy. And if you want to draw detail, you draw like you're writing in your journal. If you want to draw these big shapes, which is how we start, you kind of want to draw with your arm. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to draw with your arm in the in the pencil pen position. You want to draw like you're holding, you know, your wizard's wand, you know, or your, right. uh, you know, your conducting staff, etc. Yeah, I stick with it um, because. No, yeah. And I did it too. I drew over. I went through it so recently that um, and slowly I'm like, you know what? This actually is helping me. Mm-hmm. So. The thing, Danny, one of the things that I've figured out is as a kind of understanding about teaching is people will not usually do the thing until they're ready for the thing. And that readiness for each person comes at a different time. It doesn't mean they're smart or less smart. We just we are ready to understand, you know, a shadow concept, how to hold our pencil, um, how to mix skin tone. Any of these things come at a different time for each person. So. I try to manage to that um, common denominator until I get to the, all those guys there. I'll keep mentioning those things as I work around the room or do my demos for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess as a, as a instructor, it's important um, to just keep repeating those things because you never know when one of those people, I guess, is going to be ready and they'll hear it and they'll go, Oh, right. Right. <laughs> and maybe that'll be the day that they, that they kind of uh, take it on. Um yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned. Um, sorry, I'm going back a little bit, but but okay. when I asked you about the, um, you know, teaching students uh, not uh, native English speakers, um, you mentioned just repetition, repetition. But it's the same thing for people who are English speakers. I think it's exactly the, you know because everybody I think needs to hear these things just over and over and over again. And and I think it's. It's not just with drawing. I think it, it goes with anything you're trying to learn for the first time or trying to learn or get better at or learn well. <clears throat> I think that's just that's just a part of learning. Is that- and, and these initial, I agree, and these initial phases of, you know, realistic drawing and painting, we're learning a craft. We're learning how to be woodworking, crafts, you know, carpenters just with pencils and charcoal and paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and it good, there's bad practice. And I just want to make sure that my students are practicing the right things, right? When yep. they go home and they do a homework assignment that they're trying to re-employ these things that we do in class. Class to me is just instructed practice at home. I want to be, have them reinforcing, you know, those, those lectures. That's why we have things like handouts and cheat sheets. You know, you're talking about that light bulb, that moment when someone 
goes, oh yeah, that, that, oh yeah, that works for me. Like for right. me, one of the ones that was very, very powerful and depending on where you are in the US or world, we say core shadow or terminator, right? For this right. form shadow edge. And I remember understanding it and seeing it, but I couldn't kind of draw it. And I'm like, why do I, why am I crap at this? Yeah. And finally, it took me a year and a half. And I think I'm a pretty smart guy to be <laughs> able to draw that on paper. And I still would say I'm okay at it in a quick drawing, but it took me a while to really describe it to myself. So yeah. knowing that, I, it's a thing I now describe in a way that made sense to me to my students and I get them doing better core shadows, terminators way faster because it's such a part of understanding form, mm -hmm. you know, that shadow edge and the plane change. But those things take different amount of time for each person to have in their tool belt, you know? Yep, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When you mentioned core shadows, I mean, there's so many, so many things about, you know, concepts with, with understanding form and light that just, so many of those ideas is definitely that, um, you know, you're going to get it. You're going to get it when you get it. Yeah. Um, and it's going to take time. Um, and so I think so many of that's, you know, if somebody explained it to me in that moment, like it made sense, but it doesn't necessarily take hold. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily um, really understand it until, until you do, which just, is going to take time. That is true. And that's one of the reasons I make sure I intersperse master copy work with their work from life and their work from references to be copying. Like they all think, why am I copying another artist? Because they're ahead of you, right? And they're right. doing things in their drawing or painting that you can't do yet. Um, and you get better just by doing exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. um, like I love, I'll hear, I've heard a teacher say, oh, do it in whatever style you want when you're doing the master copy. <laughs> so like, what's what? the point? Right. Yeah, oh, exactly. If you're going to do a J.C. Leyendecker, <laughs> do exactly what he did. Do those strokes. Yeah. You know, figure it out. All like he did. Right. And, and, I, and you see them just step forward just through the master copy, doing bar plate, you know, those processes. I think it's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, I love those Barg, uh, the, some of those figures, some of the simpler figures for, um, it doesn't quite hit home how important shapes and, and just being so precise is. Um, I think for a lot of people, until you try to do some of those uh, Barg figures, um, and, and like I said, some of the some of the simpler ones that are, are not rendered out. I yeah, the just line, line, right? The, yeah. 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 <laughs> and they're deceptively, like you would think they're easy. They're deceptively dis difficult. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and no, I think, I, most, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, I, that wasn't part of my training when I, when I studied at uh, Water Street or GCA. Um, and so I came to those later and sort of uh, handed them to some of my students a couple years ago. And, and I was doing them for the first time with them. And it was like, wow, this is this is challenging. This is why it's so important that you learn, you know, that you just get so good at seeing tilts and shapes and points and relating all this stuff. So, totally. Yeah, it was nice to sort of like, um, not that I was ever questioning that stuff, but it was nice to to for it to hit home again how important uh, all of those concepts are. 
Well, you're just kind of re-experiencing the value of it. I, you know, if I understand sure. what you're yeah. saying. And I, one of the things I do as a teacher, and this is probably where I start running out of time, is often I will do the homework along with my students. I will do the same, uh, you know, step by step, and I'll do a barg with them. That's why there's lots of barg plates in my Instagram. <laughs> I, and I love doing them. I don't get them to a super high state of finish because I run out of time, but um, I, I really enjoy doing them, and they keep pushing my, you know, my skill set too. Um, all the time. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. So I, I guess, um, you definitely produce, you put up a lot of drawings on Instagram. So, um, I'm not sure what my question is here, but, but that <laughs> but must be, uh, stop doing I mean, it. You're, you're, no, 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 not at all. No, not at all. Uh, you're producing, um, just quite a bit through, you know, I think some people have the idea that that teachers aren't working, but but you're certainly producing quite a bit as you're as you're teaching and 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 I guess kind of doing the assignments along with your students. Um, so you're definitely keeping that uh, machine oiled. It, it it appears very much. So. You know, I, I won't ever name a name when I say something negative. Uh, <laughs> I've been in classes and I've had students say to me, Kevin, you know, you're the only teacher who draws with us. You're the only teacher who actively helps me every class. And uh, there are teachers, not necessarily at my school, but I, I know of them who yeah. they sit in the back corner and they draw or paint and they do, they do their demo and then they're done. And I, I didn't learn that way. I learned, yeah. with, you know, engaging with me, connecting with me. I can tell you, I joke with students, I will know how you draw way before I'll know your name. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You probably find the same thing. And, yeah, definitely. And because I want to be connected to them. And then I learn a little bit about each of them and what they're challenged with, what they want to do. Um, you know, when I f finish a class, I I never want to be the teacher that a student says, well, who taught you figure drawing one? And they're like, uh, the uh, there was, uh, I want to be the guy to go with the Kevin talk. Because yeah. they remember and they found value and they enjoyed it, you know, even if it was very, very hard. I never want to be that other, the other dude or the other woman they don't remember. Um, right. And I'm amazed because, you know, you create this this relationship with these students that I think is so profound. It is for me. Um, it was for me as a student and it is for me as a teacher. Um, and I want them to value it. You know, maybe that's my ego um, talking a little bit. <laughs> But I want them to go, that was fun, enjoyable, difficult, and it moved me to the next place. You know, um, yeah. I don't know how I on that, but I, you know, we're talking about barn plates. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's just you being passionate about your work and, and wanting to do it well. I think, I think anybody, uh, any, any teacher should feel like that. Um, yeah. But no you know, sorry, Danny, I didn't mean to interrupt. One no. thing you're, so you're talking about the Instagram Almost, I would say 90% of what you see up there is demo in class uh, work. Um, you know, it's for the students, with the students. It's rarely me going, oh, this is, I'll do this in the corner. I don't even get to do that. You know, my max time typically in a class to draw um, between demo working with students is about 15 minutes, whether it's a direct demo for them or beginning a new drawing or painting. Right. So my focus is them. They're the priority. Um, 
even if I'm like, oh my God, this model is amazing. That pose is great. I'm going to help my, my students are the focus. That's a secondary thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My selfishness, I have to just check that, you know? No, it's hard. It's hard. I'll, I'll want so many times I want to set up and occasionally I'll do it if we're on, um, you know, week, we, we do figure drawing once a week. And if sometimes we'll do, you know, maybe, uh, three consecutive weeks on a pose or something like that. And, and sometimes on the, say second half of the third week or something I'll I'll set up and and do a little block in or something but but yeah it's it's so tempting you want to just because it's happening and you want to do it and you want to just set up an easel and go I want to be a, I want to do this too <laughs> it's so hard yeah. to, it's so hard to watch everybody else having uh having all the fun but um but it's definitely rewarding to um you know go around and and be able to be able to help each student you know, point out some things that maybe they're not, they're not seeing. Um, that's really, that's rewarding also. Totally. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. So you have a couple of days when you're not teaching. So is there something, um, what, what kind of things are you working towards there? Are you, are you getting able to develop some personal work? Definitely always have, you know, I'm always working on ideas. Um, you know, I'm, it's just, honestly, it's been challenging with the, the teacher load and my focus on it to apply the time I want to yeah. my personal work. Um, uh, you know, so, um, but I'm constantly um, working on, you know, developing ideas. I have lots of started paintings, I have to say. Yeah, that are sitting around staring at me like, you know, please. How about me, Kevin? How about me? So <laughs> right. They're like orphans. So yeah. I do have things in progress. I have some, you know, shows I'm working towards uh, for the summer. And I also have I'm working on a, you know, a, I have this weird idea I'm working on uh, for a kind of a, a classically drawn and painted graphic story. Um, the oh, cool. probably all of uh, an audience of one will enjoy me, and <laughs> so we'll we'll see where that goes. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely I have a lot of big ideas. Just want to make, try to keep on the execution component of it too. You know. Yeah. Well, so how far along is that uh, kind of graphic? Would we call it a graphic novel or? Yeah, kind of a, gra a graphic story. Um, it's in the, the – there's a little bit of writing and thumbnail stage. Um, I think it's going to be a multi-year project once I yeah. get to drawing and painting. But I love the idea of mixing, you know, a classical s style, if I think I have one, mm -hmm. with, with, you know, um, a more modern concept for storytelling and, you know, in the graphic novel. So um, figuring out something that – is you know could be beautiful and enthralling um but also be a compelling story that could be fun you know one of i think about comics today and that the that the writer is the star baffles me you know the, mm. the artist me is the star of, yeah but like i think there why should ever the first person listed be anyone but the 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 writer the sorry the artist you know right. i just don't understand yeah being a totally visual medium yeah right yeah um huh that's interesting i wonder if um i'm not up on comics but would you say the writing is is especially great right now no okay um 
And I, yeah, can, are you really sure how you feel, Kevin, about that? <laughs> like, you go into a, a comic book shop, and there's one a, a mile from my house. And I'll go, do you have any um, work, any current, you know, the last works? Bernie and he just passed away, one of my kind of idols growing up. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're if they know their stuff, they'll go, yeah, yeah. And I'll ask them what do they recommend and maybe the next conversation. And usually they talk about the writers. And I'm like, you know, I, wow. I and I will shock them and say, I could I really don't care at all about the writing. I want to yeah. see art. And they look at you like you have just had a mushroom grow out of your forehead, you know. It's bizarre. So yeah. It, but that seems to be the world on the West Coast. Uh, but even in New York, nah, in New York at the big comic stores, they seem to know more about the artists, but less so I've found. And that's just shocking. The, you know, the work, they list the writers um, first. It's kind of weird. That I wish they would change yeah. that. Yeah. Um, <coughs> that's so surprising. I mean, because... And I, I don't, you know, I might offend hardcore comic people, but um, I mean, the stories are pretty simple, right? That's all. It's always been art driven uh, from, I don't know, uh, kind of an outsider. Maybe I shouldn't comment on it, but that seems silly. Um, what is there something that um, you're doing in your work right now? This is, I, I, I thought of this the other day, just a, just an interesting, hopefully an interesting question for all artists. Is there something that you're doing right now in your work that's that's especially working and then is there something that's that you're really struggling with um i know it's kind of a a broad question but um it, you could apply that um to any specific in the realm of of, of art making uh, that you'd like um or if or if you don't have anything we can move on <laughs> no i mean I mean, I'm pretty self-critical. I never think anything is especially working. Um, <laughs> thinking that's terrible, that's terrible. I know that's horrible <laughs> to say about your own. And I always expect more. Um, yeah. You know, I enjoy that three-quarter phase of work where you start to see things come alive. Um, your concept, the way you're, especially in a painting, Drawing for me is always, I feel pretty confident my drawing is always fairly, it's going fine. Um, the, the challenge for me, the challenging area for me is, does my taste, my aesthetic taste map to what people may want to put money down to buy for my personal mm. work? Yeah. And then the, the part of this, do I care? You know, and I kind of do. I, yeah. I want people to, I used to think, my original goal when I went to art school is I'll make something good enough that I would hang in my own house or, you know, place I live. I had that goal in one year, you know, and then I started to go, maybe it would be cool to actually have someone own my work. That took a long time to understand that that would be, it'd be nice. And, yeah. um, but finding that aesthetic mix that, you know, galleries see the value, you know, it is having that bit of storytelling that bit of classical painting that's not just a nude figure that's very difficult to sell in New York, San Francisco, even in Rome, you know, they're challenging to sell. Finding that aesthetic, um, that's, that for me is challenging, you know, and continuing yeah. to think on that on a daily basis. Uh, I know. <laughs> that seems, uh, that, 
that might be everyone, right? No, who does yeah, this? They no. might go, yeah, you haven't told you. Said, <laughs> that no, that that very thing just sort of consumes me. Um, yeah, because you go back and forth. Part of me thinks, well, um, I don't care, but wow, it'd be really nice if um, you know my vision or my aesthetic. Um, was communicating to people and they saw that and and uh thought wow you know i mean you want to make that connection with people i think whether you're selling or not it's it's a desire that the thing that you you know your aesthetic the thing you think is beautiful this this thing you created connects with somebody else i think that is just natural um yes the i mean I, I agree. I want I want people to love the thing I love, and that's not always true. Yeah. Um, my biggest the theme that I enjoy the most in my personal work is finding beauty in the everyday. You know, if, is there a thing that someone might think is discarded or not important, and seeing it in a light that makes it beautiful and drawing it or painting it that way? That is something I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. Something that's already beautiful, it's kind of easy to, you know, have it still be beautiful. But something that, um, like a, you know, a shopping bag or a wrinkly piece of paper or, you know, an old toy, um, you know, that has been discarded or a shoe. How is that thing, if you look at it in an interesting way, is it a beautiful, a thing of beauty that could be celebrated? And that's, that's a place where my own at least the concept and the theme of what I do in my work, I, that's what I, that's where I am. That's where my head is at these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy, I think who, who we both know Jacob Collins is, is I think one of the best at that. I mean, you know, crinkled pieces of paper that appear in his paintings or, or whatever, you know, a pile of flour. Um, a guy can just, he has a way of just showing what's beautiful about that thing. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. And there's also, you know, if you can see, it's one of those things that makes just sort of going through day to day life, um, more exciting is to just start noticing, um, you know, things that we sort of take for granted, the craftsmanship, the, um, the way light passes through something, just anything that you can sort of, anything around, you know, I like to just think about the fact that we spend so much time trying to capture things on paper or on canvas and you know when i sometimes i'll just catch myself and i'll um just be looking around in the room and go oh wow that thing that's what that thing actually looks like in space like Mm -hmm. i'm experiencing firsthand right now you know the way this thing sits on a table and the um, cast shadow it projects and, you know, like that can, that to me, sometimes that's exciting when I think about that's the thing that's act, that's actual reality. And I spend so much time trying to recreate reality mm. on, you know what I mean? And it can be exciting to me just to go, Oh wow, that's actual reality. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think what, you know, in a way, unless you're a hyper realist or, you know, very exacting realist, you're, I think what we're trying to do is, is be a creative filter to the things we observe, like you were talking about and, you know, create, um, I don't know, a visual language for those things we, 
we see in our lives, the things we observe, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the color you see cast on a piece of asphalt, how purple it, how violet it really is, and mm-hmm. you know, and I love all that stuff. I'm 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 fear of crashing my car some days, just looking at <laughs> yeah. a you know a shadow is cast from a light pole onto a child walking down the street. I'm like, okay, got to drive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but that's one of the gifts I think of enhancing your observational engine you know yeah that's a great point yeah yeah and i i feel like you're kind of saying i was thinking as you were saying that that these are the gifts we we attain i think or are given or acquire as you know thoughtful artists um and that's one of the joys of doing this stuff yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i i guess that's the thing is is um you know through through um uh, pursuing this this craft and this this uh, art form you just learn how to see and then when you learn how to see you see it's just like um i guess it's like learning anatomy you know you spend so many you spend so many hours looking at the figure and and all the the curves and bumps and all of that stuff and then you learn anatomy and, and it all means something it means more right because, you know what you're right. looking at yeah um, you know, I, I just want to say one, yeah, you gave me a, a thought, you know, you hear, I've heard teachers say this, I've read it in books where people say, oh, draw what you see, paint what you see. Yeah. And I thought, uh, okay, what yeah. is that? You know, but I actually don't think that works. Yeah. I, I, I think my thought is you actually have to learn what's there. Um, like, I have to, you have to learn, you know, this right. is how light works when you're painting it. Yeah. This is what, you know, this is what a face or a head looks like in grayscale. And you got to learn that. And so the draw what you see thing, because that means you're reinventing the wheel every time you draw or paint. And yeah. I think that's, that's, a, that's a killing. You know, it's a, it's a death knell for the artist. You have to actually learn, you have to build an inventory of shapes Mm-hmm. colors values to be for me that's how it really works no i think you're right it's not um well because our, i don't think that's the way our brain works we're not equipped to just um we're seeing we see in a way that gets us through the world uh safely right we're not seeing to recreate it on a canvas that's a different kind of seeing it's a um it's a yeah like you said you build up you build up these experiences i guess you and you have to learn how to see it's a different thing um ah, i don't know how to describe it very well but um, being a not to say this stuff too much to students because they look at me like what uh i you know i'll say you're building kind of a database you're you know this stored (laughs) encyclopedia of shapes colors and images that help me draw better Right. And I had this teacher uh, who I would travel down, this guy named Glenn Orbick, who was just opened my eyes to so much. He, illustrator in Southern California, mm-hmm. passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, he taught at a little school called Cal Arts Institute in Thousand Oaks. Um, and um, he basically said, no, 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 you learn what that shape looks like and draw it a thousand times. Yeah. Find eye that knows that mouth, that figure, that wrinkle. And I'm like, 
I really hate that you told me that truth, but then I started to do that and, <laughs> and my work got better again. And, you know, super smart guy, um, very good at describing how to do this stuff as well. Yeah. It's gosh. I mean, it goes without saying, or maybe it doesn't go without saying, so I'm going to say it, but <laughs> just great teachers are so valuable. It's so, yeah. I, don't, I think people, I don't know. I feel like that's undervalued in a way. Um, just because uh, I think teaching, I don't know, maybe not, but I have, it just feels like, I feel like teaching is undervalued, good teaching, that kind of, uh, you know, the teaching you're doing, like you just described with Glenn Orbick, it's, it's, um, I think it's undervalued. Um, but when you have that, when you experience I, of course that, it's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we teachers, we maybe that's that's a uh, uh, sorry, you're be able to talk about it, but oh, sorry, yeah. I'm just saying, I think teaching is dramatically undervalued, even by the students. Um, yeah, uh, but hopefully, you break through, right? You break through the clutter, um, and if that teacher has had a great suite of experiences with great teachers that becomes part of their teaching, you know, their, their ensemble, what they deliver to their students. And yes. yeah. I remember I said to Tony Ryder once I, I was, you know, I, I was probably having a befuddled day and then light bulbs are going off. And I said, you know, Tony, I, I feel guilty. You're telling me all of your secrets. And he, and he smiled and said, then, then I'm doing my job right. Yeah. Um, and and that's, a, you know, because I really felt like, stop telling me all your secrets. I feel bad. But um, <laughs> that's our job is to tell those secrets in a way that your students can actually acquire them. And in some ways, go beyond you, you know, move to their place. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, how, that's, that's the most rewarding thing uh, for an instructor is to see somebody, you know, take the things that you that you struggled for so long uh, to learn and, and if they can incorporate it and maybe save some time and, and then move forward faster. I mean, that's, that's one of the most rewarding things I think. Yeah. Teaching is a, is a catalyst to our students development. You know, when I hear people say on wherever on the internet, people write me and go, well, you know, I'm self-taught. And I go, <laughs> you live in a cave in Montana um, with no internet. And they're like, Oh, what? Yeah. And I'm like, self-taught to me means you had no influence because a book can teach you, right? The internet, YouTube, those are, they're all teaching elements. Right. And you know, a lot, I mean, there's so many things and ways that we can um, expedite our artistic learning, not just being in front of a human teacher, but using these other mechanisms as well. I do. I go on YouTube and learn how to use Photoshop tools and secrets all the time. Yeah. And yeah. saves oh, yeah and days of misery yeah no i mean no, oh my gosh i mean youtube is is insane um you know i learned how to to feed the uh string into my weed whacker the other day i mean awesome <laughs> i'm going to go do that today even if just to buy a weed whacker just so i can <laughs> i have the lawn right now so it, was the, it was one of the easiest things in the world but seemed very complicated until i watched the video um but yeah, oh my gosh, I've learned, uh, it's, it's just incredible YouTube. Um, Kevin, it's been so much fun talking. There's one thing I want to kind of close with, and I just wanted to ask you if 
there is anything, um, any kind of movie or book or, or painting or something that, that you've been especially um, excited by or, or inspired by lately? Um, anything I've been, you know, I've been going back and looking at John. Can you hear me okay? Uh, you're, you're kind of fuzzy. Not very clear. Yeah. We were both cutting out. I, I was losing you on the... Can oh, you I'm try sorry. the... We do the question again. I lost the... I got I heard book. And, oh, okay. and yeah, no, no. I just I was just asking if there's anything um, that you've read or, or a movie or anything, any kind of art you've taken in lately um, that's, that's especially excited you or uh, inspired you in some way. Something, something that you would, you're going to see your best friend uh, and go, oh my God, I saw this movie. I read this book. So, you know, I was trying to think of, um, the, you know, the, I was looking at, uh, let me try to remember the, uh, one of the art of books. That, um, the, the place that I, I just was looking at a book that was just made me very excited, especially about the character design was reading about Ardman animation. Um, the guy who did the wrong browsers and, you know, there's a fellow there named Nick Park. Um, just amazing what they did with stop motion animation. Um, very thoughtful, humorous, um, really well, real done. Um, that, and then with stuff, just cause I'm doing things with my students, but going back to look at um, Bouguereau, Zorn, John Singer Sargent, Soroya, um, yeah. looking at their work and just as an artist, just spending time with their work again. Th those two things recently, That's those are yeah. it. Um, can you mention the uh, the stop motion book again? You you cut out a little bit there. I just want that to be want people to hear that clearly. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's the uh, the art of Ardman animation. Ardman A R D M A N or A A R D M A N Ardman. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, anything else you want to uh, say before we go? Let's let's go ahead and give your um, what's your Instagram handle or name? so instagram is very exciting it's kevin weasty um which is my name okay uh, kevin <laughs> that's the best place to find me um and uh yeah it's been i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me it's i hope it's been okay <laughs> no it's been great it's been it's been really really fun um okay cool man thanks kevin thank you um appreciate it and have a good day yeah same to you okay Okay, thanks again to Kevin Wiesty for a fun, enlightening, and entertaining conversation. Thanks to our sponsor, FACE, the Figurative Art Convention and Expo being held in Miami at the Biltmore Hotel this November. Seating is limited. To learn more, go to figurativeartconvention.com. And mark your calendars for June 9th if you are in the Austin area at the Georgetown Arts Center. There will be a gallery show opening featuring artwork from the artists I have interviewed on this show so far. Um, so you've heard about their lives and careers on this podcast. Come see some of their work in person 
Again, that show opens Friday, June 9th at the Georgetown Arts Center in Georgetown, Texas, just north of Austin. And just to refresh your memory, um, the artist who I have interviewed on this show and are participating in the gallery show are Scott Waddell, Brian Larson, Todd Casey, Andrew Amaral, Gabriella Deloso, Abby Ryan, Hollis Dunlap, Danny Furland, and fingers crossed for Tony Sur and I, if you see him, give him a nudge. And um, we're hoping that Graydon Parrish will be able to borrow back uh, one or more of his works to participate in the show. So um, very exciting. That's going to be just an awesome, awesome show. So I hope you can join us for that. And as usual, leave us comments on iTunes and give us five and three quarters star rating there. You can also leave comments on my website and email me danny at dannygrantfineart.com. And if you enjoy the show, spread the word. Um, I'd love to increase the listenership. So uh, tell your friends. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. I've seen men look at her before And they think I don't see I'd like to think it makes me proud But I'm only fooling me I know she'll be looking back The minute I'm not there While she pours herself on some stranger I poured myself a drink somewhere She's that